Welcome to the Mama Hive. My goal with this podcast is to give all mamas more tools so that we can work together to create something beautiful in our families and as a society. The world needs hardworking, busy bee mamas who do good because together we're freaking unstoppable. Welcome to the Mama Hive. To those of you who listened to the last episode and who shared and commented and subscribed, thank you so much. It means more to me than seriously any of you could ever know. And to new listeners, Welcome. Just, I'm excited that you're here. So today's episode, before I dive in, I feel like I need to give a disclaimer. And I hate that we live in a society where there is the phrase mom guilt and that it's so prevalent. I think mom guilt is so stupid. <laughs> Since becoming a mother, I seriously don't understand how any one person can judge another person for the way that they're parenting. Because I truly believe that what you're doing is because you feel it's best for your children. And it's not even the same from child to child. So following your mom instincts, your intuition, using prayer or channeling whatever other powers you need to is so important because your kids need you as a mom. So the fact that there's guilt associated around how we parent and every single decision is just, it really gets me going. So I, so that's part of my disclaimer. What I'm sharing is just education. I'll be diving into some screen time and technology issues. And I think it's an area, honestly, that all of us can do better in, myself included. I feel like I go through phases where I, you know, don't consume as much social media or a Netflix and I'm more productive and I'm working on other goals and achievements and my physical well-being and I just feel feel more well-rounded. And then I go through phases where I consume more and I feel it. I can can feel the difference. So once again, I'm just sharing education, and I think that we can all make little goals to help be more mindful of the way that we, and especially that our children, are consuming the media around us. So with that little disclaimer in mind, just buckle up, because I'm super passionate about this. So I my coworkers used to tease me when I would start talking about screen time and different things that be like, you know, hand Sydney her box. She's going to get up on her on her soapbox and preach to all of us. But it's just such a huge issue. The thing that I struggled with when I was, you know, coming up with this episode is that I feel like it's so expansive. So I plan on doing future future episodes about specifics. Like there's, you know, impacts on self-esteem that come from technology. There's cyberbullying. There's impacts on mental health. Like there have been multiple studies that show that there's actually higher rates of depression linked to higher Facebook usage. Um, When we're consuming technology, we're more sedentary. So that obviously affects our physical health. And then, you know, just the types of things that we're exposed to. It's, It's just crazy to me how many screens are around us. And this includes all screens. Um, Sometimes when we think about technology, we think of like just video games or just social media, but it's phones, computers, TV, um, even like think about going to a restaurant. Now at a lot of restaurants, they hand you an iPad or they set it at the table and you check out on that instead of interacting with your server or as you're eating, there's, you know, ESPN going on 10 different TVs as you're sitting at your table and our kids are being exposed to this so early on. I I actually, there was a funny story, but my sister and her husband and their four boys last year drove out to Arizona to spend spring break with us. 
And they drove up from Kentucky, which is like, I think it was 24 hours each way. So they're psycho, but it was awesome. But we went to Shake Shack and we were sitting there just, you know, eating our burgers and fries. And I was watching out of the corner of my eye because ESPN was on, it switched to like a commercial and it was a Hellboy commercial and it was a spooky commercial. And I'm kind of like a sissy about scary things, but I was watching my eight-year-old nephew just kind of watch it out of the corner of his eye and he kept trying to like look away, but it kind of glanced back because he was curious. And then it flashed the name on, you know, Hellboy. And he goes, what was that scary thing about some Hallboy? And it was cute that he was, he, you know, read it as Hallboy, but at the same time, I, you know, since, you know, that experience, and then of course, watching my own little guy, just as we're out and about the things that our kids are exposed to, it's just, it's just baffling to me. And there's just too much of it. And parents are included in this. I don't know how many people are familiar with Colin Kirchner. Um, he has like a platform where he talks about this and he talks a lot about how parents are, oftentimes some of the the worst offenders when it comes to too much technology. There was a while back where he had some students basically write down how technology was was hurting their lives. And the most common answer he was getting was that their parents consume too much. Things like, my parents don't love me because they care about their phone more. Or as a family, we don't interact because my parents are too busy on their phones or with work. And that's heartbreaking to me. What's crazy is we as adults, we have a fully developed frontal lobe, which is involved with our executive functions, like understanding cause and effect. It helps us control and regulate our activities. It helps us understand and control our emotions and our responses to things instead of just responding on impulse. There's actually research that shows that this part of the brain, this frontal lobe, doesn't fully develop until early adulthood, between ages like 23 and 26, depending on, on who you listen to. But so us as adults, if we have a hard time understanding the cause and effect of consuming too much, what about our teenagers or even our younger kids? And this is why, I mean, as teenagers make stupid decisions is because that frontal lobe's not developed yet. But if we put screens in front of our kids without that part of their brain developed, it opens a whole new world of stupid decisions that, that we didn't even have to have to face. Kind of some background info. I wanted to know how much screen time kids are actually getting. So there are tons of studies and different resources. The most common thread that I found was that between ages eight and 18, there's an average of seven or more hours a day that kids are consuming. Seven hours. That is almost as much as you're supposed to sleep in a day. And they're, they're sitting on a, uh, in front of a screen for that. And according to the CDC, the highest usage is between ages 11 and 14, and that's, they're coming in at nine hours a day. So how much screen time should kids be getting? So once again, depending on which source you look at, between 18 months and 24, I'm going to go with 24 months. Anything younger than that, they should get zero screen time other than video calling. And this is actually what we've chosen to do with our son. And so we'd FaceTime and then I'm kind of a weird, crazy person about it. And my husband, like if my son wakes up from a nap, he turns ESPN off, poor guy, and he'll like watch it on his phone if it's a really good game or something. But um, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually used to say that you shouldn't have any under three years. And then they've since released new screen time guidelines. And I'm all about going with the flow and keeping up with the changes. But this is one that I don't think we should roll with the punches with because it is detrimental to our kids. So 
So yeah, under, once again, depending on the source, I would say at the minimum under two years old, there should be no screen time. Then between ages two and five, the maximum should be an hour per day. And it's recommended that this hour should be co-viewed with parents, meaning you're sitting next to your kid, you're breaking down what's happening, talking about the characters and the emotions and just bringing language out of it. And then um, from ages five to 18, it should be less than two hours a day. I mean, if you have high schoolers or teenagers, I I guarantee there's more than two hours just in homework alone. So that's why I think it's especially important to be mindful and control what we can control. And here's the thing. I get that it's hard. I have had so many conversations with different friends, with kids of different ages about trying to find that balance. There's actually a comedian I went to years ago. I was in high school. His name was Kerma Apio. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. And I did all the Google searches to try and find this exact quote, but I couldn't. So if any of y'all know Kermit, you can make him come after me or give me the right quote. But he did a little bit about how he had like four or five kids or something. I don't know. But he said, he's like those parents that say, my kids will never sit in front of a TV. He's like, I just want to laugh at them. He's like, I want to say to them, what, you don't plan on pooping for the next 15 years. And (laughs) it's funny because that's kind of the way our mindset is like, oh, I need to put my kid in front of a screen because I just need some time alone. And once again, I get it. I have a one-year-old who's constantly all over me. The thought of going to the restroom without a little buddy is just, would be wonderful. But there are challenges that come from that quote unquote easy solution. Okay, so now what is it doing to our brains? We know that we are as a society, and I would say most families could probably agree that they're consuming too much um, and their kids are consuming too much. So how is it impacting our development or our kids' development? So the first thing is, there's a quote from a book called Glow Kids. Um, It's by Dr. Nicholas Cardaris, and I love it. It's one of my favorite books ever. I somehow convinced my book club to read it in December. So suckers will have to listen to me talk about this. But um, there's a quote and he says, our technology has outrun our biology. Our bodies and our brains are not developed to handle the type of technology that we have or the amount. It is at an insane level at an all-time high. It's Going back to, if you haven't listened to the first episode, you might want to pause here and go back and listen. It's a quick one and then come back. But what happens is the way that we process screens happens more in the left side of our brain, which then neglects the right side of our brain. Once again, the left side of our brain is the side that likes sameness, routine, repetition. Um, and the right is, is more of our emotional, social control. It's big and gross motor skills. So what happens is, is when we, our kids start consuming too much, it widens an imbalance that may already exist or can create an imbalance within the brain. And this is especially huge at, um, for younger kids, because what happens is the first three years of life, the right brain is actually the one that's primarily developing. That's why our kids, there's an explosion of motor activities. They crawl and walk and they're touching everything and they're getting all that sensory input. They're putting 
everything in their mouth 100% of the time. And they're, you know, learning about the world around them. They're constantly bonking their heads or just getting in, you know, making messes and they're figuring out the world around them. Then they start to have some of that nonverbal understanding. They can understand what you're saying. They start to pick up on those types of things, which lays the foundation for in the next three years of life, the left brain comes online. And that's when we start to uh, be able to speak more. We put together more words and phrases. Our language really explodes. Our understanding of things like numbers and letters and um, consequences starts to come online. And then what happens is until our brain is fully developed, we switch back and forth every few years. We go, the right brain kind of gets more input. The left brain gets more growth and, and just kind of, it stays, you know, back and forth until it's fairly even. But at any age, um, if we, once again, introduce something, and screen time is just one example of that, but it's a very big one, then we can create or widen an imbalance. The second thing it's doing is screens truly do act as digital drugs. And this is not meant to sound like a doom and gloom scare tactic, but they truly are digital drugs. There's a director of neuroscience at UCLA named Dr. Peter Weibrow, and he actually calls screens electronic cocaine. Cocaine. What? Who of us wants our kids dabbling with cocaine? None of us, I don't think, unless you're crazy. So um, the reason why is because there's dopamine in our brain, and dopamine is the feel-good hormone, basically. It's what lights up when we eat something delicious, or drugs can light it up because it gives that spike of dopamine. Sex lights it up because it it feels good. And then what happens is you want more because we all like to feel good. So this is one of the most common hormones you'll hear about when, when talking about different addictions. And there are video games and, and different things in, in media that are literally created to make sure we have a dopamine spike so that we feel good enough to keep consuming. I was reading something the other day that was talking about the research departments that are created for video games. And what they do is they actually bring in their test subjects, usually like preteens and teens, because that's kind of their target audience. They hook up electrode to these kids' brains. And as they're playing the game, they look for certain responses, like the dopamine spike. Um, they need enough of a surge that they can create these addictive and, and habit-forming games. And if there's not enough of a surge or a spike in the brain, then they tweak the game if necessary before releasing it. It's just crazy to me that it is so intentional that, I mean, it shouldn't be crazy because it's a, a billion-dollar industry, but these, these games and even other media we consume are given so that there's instant and constant rewards. And when our brain gets an instant reward, once again, it feels good. So then it wants more and it keeps going. So it's this addictive cycle. And the Glow Kids book that I've mentioned also references, there've been many studies that have done where they actually do brain mapping of the white matter in your brain. And the brain imaging studies that they do show that the technology exposure alters the actual physical brain structure in the exact same way that drugs can. A third thing that it's doing is it is making kids miss out on key sensory experiences. And they're in front of a screen. They're not playing outside. They're not reading actual, actual books. They might be talking to friends online, but it's not the same as talking to someone in person. And children now are having more digital experiences than real life experiences. And that to me is scary. There are so many different benefits from 
Like, for example, being outside when we're in nature, real nature, not playing a video game where you're walking through a forest, your senses are engaged. You have sight, sound, smell, touch. Um, sometimes you can even like taste, like you can kind of, t- like there's a certain taste of the, the forest or whatever. All of those parts of the brain then, as you're you know, doing something as simple as walking in the woods are engaged. And as they fire together, they wire together. So it literally builds connections in the brain. Another sensory experience is the social piece. And there's an entire area of our brain dedicated to understanding social experiences. We are literally wired for human connection, for interaction, for human touch. So if our kids are being deprived of, of this experience, those parts of the brain know, go neglected and underdeveloped. And from what I've seen with the kids that I've worked with, this is sometimes one of the most apparent things that parents notice is that kind of sends off red flags is they're like, wow, they are having a hard time making and keeping friends or they're acting out explosively towards us. Their emotions are all over the place. They don't know how to carry on a conversation. And and, and once again, that's, that's scary to me. That illusion of social connection while missing out on on real connection and I actually had an experience there was a girl at work we'll call her Sarah so Sarah had asked if she could speak to me um she was 17 at the time and she came in and she was having a hard time following some of the the screen time guidelines or limits we asked them to set while they were in the program and she just said what am I supposed to to do with my time. I was like, well, you know, go outside, actually do your homework instead of neglecting it, get some sleep instead of staying up all night scrolling. Like there are so many things you could do. And then she just admitted, she was like, yeah, but what about my friends? I was like, well, you still see them at school and at lunch. I was like, you could even ask some of them to do it. Like you could make a fun little challenge. Like, Hey, let's all of us go on, you know, social media free for five days or something. And and other teenagers who had done that with success. And she just said, no. She's like, what I mean is I don't have a single real friend. She's like, so if I don't have my phone, I don't have friends. And it was heartbreaking to me that she didn't know how to have a conversation and, and neither did some of her friends, honestly, in person. It was so dependent on her phone that the thought of, of giving that up for even a little bit of time or even part of the day was just like crushing for her. And how often do we, we experience this ourselves though. The next time you're at the grocery store at a restaurant, look around, look at the number of people that are not interacting with the humans around them that are instead interacting with their phone. And I think that I actually heard another podcast or a friend suggested it. I don't remember where I heard it, but somebody said that, um, they made a goal to not be on their phone while they were at the grocery store. So I have been doing this for a while. I stopped making a list. I used to keep my grocery list on my phone and I started doing a paper list. And so I'll take my pen and my paper into the grocery store and, I just interact more. I interact more with my son as we're shopping. I interact with other people around me. I notice like the cute little old people that are waving at my little boy. And there's just a different experience that comes from from it. When our kids are, you know, in front of a screen, they're missing out on play, on how play is supposed to be. And just kind of think about for a minute how it was how it used to look like when we'd play. When you'd come home for school, what would we do? 
would go outside. You'd play make-believe. You'd interact with other people in your neighborhood. You'd understand um, more of the interpersonal dynamics as you made different friends and did different activities with them, whether it was jumping on the tramp or playing street hockey or, you know, I vividly remember in one of our houses, we would, there was like a little stream that went through part of our yard and we made boats and would like race them down the river with like trash that we found or just like sticks and leaves. And that's, that's huge. Play helps with our physical, cognitive, um, social functions. It contributes to healthy relationships. It enhances learning, creativity, and imagination. I feel like I'm like on an infomercial right now for play, but it is, it's vital. There's actually a quote from wise Mr. Rogers. I mean, thinking about your childhood, is he not part of that or what? But there's a quote and I love it by him. He said, Play is often talked about as if it were relief from serious learning, but for children, play is serious learning. Play is really the work of childhood. Once again, wise Mr. Rogers. Love that guy. Um, but kids need play. Kids also need boredom. Um, there was another, there was this lady I was talking to one time, and she was one, she's one of my favorite moms ever. And she was talking about her son and She's like, oh, I just got to make sure he stays busy. And I was like, let, let, let him be bored. And she's like, I can't let him be bored. That makes me a bad mom. So I was like, no, being bored does not make you a bad mom. It actually makes you a good mom. But society now puts so much pressure on kids and adults too on, you know, busyness. It's almost worn as a badge of honor, where if you're busy, you're productive. If you're busy, you're important. So because of this, we feel pressured to have our kids in every single extracurricular activity, in every music lesson they have to be in, advanced classes they have to be in, the dual immersion language program at school. And so our kids are very structured. They go from one activity to the next activity, then to the next and the next. And this pressure that we're putting on ourselves and that we're allowing society to put on us is making kids miss out on being kids. And there's a, this is once again, a quote from Nicholas Cardaris from that Glow Kids book. He says, most importantly, let them experience boredom. There's nothing healthier for a child than to learn how to use their own interior resources to work through the challenges of being bored. This then acts as the fertile ground for developing their powers of observation, of cultivating patience, and developing an active imagination, which is the most developmentally and neurosynaptically important skill they can learn. Let them live without the glow while they're kids. They'll have plenty of time later on to deal with screens. And I love that. He just he just talks about how it is developmentally and neurosynaptically, meaning our neurons actually fire when we are bored and when we are required to develop our imagination. So now that we know, you know, some of what it's doing, the old digital drugs, the screen cocaine, what are some practical tips we can do to improve? So first thing is, I just always say progress, not perfection. It can be easy to feel overwhelmed. Maybe this is just partially part of my personality. I'm sure it is. But sometimes when I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, eh, screw it. I'm not going to do anything. But we can make really small conscious steps to start small. So the first is to set limits as a family, parents included, get your kids in on the conversation, talk about some of the why. Um, you could find you know, an article, I've seen YouTube videos talking about um, how it impacts you. 
watch that. I feel like your kids need some motivation. Um, but set, set limits. If you feel like you're going to have a hard time enforcing the limits, there are apps created. There are other things you can buy that set limits on the devices in your home. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is the Disney circle, but I know it works because we were renting with someone once we were renting a casita. So we use the people we're renting from their Wi-Fi. And there's a Saturday where I think Tyler was out of town or he was working or something. And so I was like, I'm just going to have a lazy day and just, you know, binge on some Gilmore girls. So like laying in bed and just watching the middle of my show. And then it just stops. I like can't get the internet to work. So I tried another site. I was like, what's going on? And so I texted the lady renting room. I was like, hey, is the Wi-Fi down? I'm just like having a hard time. She's like, just a second, let me check. And she texts me back and she's like, oh, actually, we just have limits. We have the, the circle and you've just, you've reached the limit we have set for uh, Netflix. She's like, I can go ahead and bump it up for you. I was like, oh my gosh, so embarrassing. Don't worry about it. I will just get off my bum and go do something productive. So I know that works. And even my husband and I have made a, a thing where we do no technology after a certain time where, um, like, for example, we've been doing once he gets home after dinner, we don't, we used to like just watch a show or something cause we're tired, but we don't, we haven't been watching anything unless it's a weekend. We don't turn our TV on and it's been cool. It's cool to see us like work towards other goals or just our interactions or we'll just digest our day or just, I've been reading more, which I've been missing. Um, so I know that, that those limits are possible and they're achievable. Another thing you can do is that any technology that you have should be shared technology. Like don't have TVs in individual rooms for your kids. Have one TV or computer in a main living area. And then in addition, try to have shared technology activities like a family game, a family movie night, um, something like, I know there are more recent ones, but the only thing I can think of is Dance Dance Revolution, the old DDR. Um, oh, just dance. Something like just dance or DDR if you want to throw it back. And that way you're still interacting as a family. Your bodies are also engaged, which is huge. Then you have some, some motor movement, some activity. Another thing you can do that I've seen others do, I haven't had to do it because I only have a one-year-old, but is they create a list of requirements that have to be met before screen time can occur. Like, is your bed made? Have you moved your body for an hour or 40 minutes or whatever? Um, have you served someone? Different things like that. And then once those things are checked off, then the kids can have it. And by the time they get to that point, there's not much time left in their day. And so it, it kind of naturally sets limits on it. Another thing that I think is huge is to go completely screen free as a whole family, um, whether for any amount of time, you could do it for a week where you literally unplug your TV, your devices, you could do two weeks. I've had families do it for months and it's, it was always one of my favorite things when parents would come in and be like, Oh my gosh, we had the biggest breakthrough with our kid. And it's because we, none of us were sitting in front of the TV there's one of them specifically, she had seven kids and she gets to go to heaven already because of that. But she, um, they decided to go totally screen free for the time they were in our program, which was about six months. And so they actually unplugged their TV, moved into the garage. They actually sold their gaming devices. Their kids were not too happy at first, but they just decided for them, it was better to just not even have it in the house. That way there wasn't that temptation. So she came in, it was, it was probably a couple months into it. And she was just like on cloud nine. She's like this morning, all of my kids 
got, went into the living room. She's like, and they kind of pushed the couches to the edges of the room so they had enough room to play. And she's like, and all of them sat and played together and were playing make-believe. She's like, I don't even know what they were playing, but all of them were interacting together. She's like, I don't know if I've ever had that happen in all the years I've been a mom because there's always been a distraction for at least one of the kids, if not all of us. And I have this, uh, my family didn't have... TV growing up. I mean, we had a TV, but only move, we could only watch movies, which used to be like VHSs. My parents still have a VHS player, but um, we didn't have it for 10 years. I remember I was, I was in college when my parents finally got it. I had called home for something and my little sister was like, oh yeah, on the voice last night. And I was like, the voice, how are you watching the voice? This is kind of like pre-streaming too. She's like, oh, dad caved for football season. We have, we have like cable now. And I remember talking about it, I was like, wow, 10 years. But my family has talked about, you know, since then, how beneficial it was for our family to, I feel like it helped us create closer connections and closer bonds. I like to think that my siblings and I are relatively well-rounded. I can speak for my siblings in saying they're all very talented. And I, I truly think part of that is because there wasn't time sitting in front of something that was being wasted. We out and, and kind of being productive and being involved. Lastly, I think the one of the biggest changes we can make to help is to start to change our mindset. And that is the mindset that our kids have to have screens to like keep up with things, right? And there's a reason that top tech, you know, tech industry leaders don't give kids the very tech they're creating. Um, most of them in like most execs in Silicon Valley actually send their kids to non-technology private and Waldorf schools because they understand what it's doing. I remember it like being all over the news that this interview with Steve Jobs and it actually happened about two years after he announced the release of the iPad and how awesome the iPad was going to be and all it would do. And the, the interviewer just said something like, are your kids loving it? How are they, you know, the last couple of years been? And he said, actually, we don't allow the iPad in the home. We think it's too dangerous for them in effect. So he, he understood and he set limits, you know, Steve Jobs himself. So um, I was having a, a conversation with, with my best friend about how her younger sisters were saying, they're like, yeah, but if we don't have it, we'll miss out on social things. So my younger sister shared that she didn't like Snapchat, but if she were to delete it, she would never know of any social things, social events happening because that's how all of her friends communicated. So they, this is something that culturally needs to shift, but I think we can start small in our families. Like once again, just kind of changing that mindset. There's a, a quote that I love. It's become one of my favorites. It's by a lady named Paula Poundstone. I guess she's a comedian, but she's also an activist. And she says, people say, but they'll need them for the world of the future. Talking about technology. Our children will need fully functioning brains for the world of the future. Let's put that first. And can I just say an amen to her? Because I agree that technology is not going anywhere. It's obviously going to be have it's going to be something we have to learn to balance, but our kids need to be able to have the tools to be able to regulate it before they start to consume it. So there you have it. Some of my thoughts and feelings about screen time. I hope it was helpful and you were able to take away something that will help you improve 
how you use technology with your kids and hopefully yourself too. I know I'm recommitted to do a little bit better in a lot of areas. I'm so excited too. We have a guest coming up here in a couple of weeks and she's going to share some of her experiences of going screen-free as a family. So stay tuned for that and I can't wait. Thanks for joining me today. If you like what you heard, then share, share, share wherever your heart desires. You can find me at Mama Hive Pod on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes.